Hi everyone, welcome to the podcast at UT Belfast. We hope you enjoy as you join with us on Sunday mornings and listen in as we seek to inspire our church and the people of our city to encounter Jesus and just love it with the biggest heart of compassion possible. Have you ever, um, have you ever applied for a job? Maybe... Maybe some of us are like, ah, no, my day we come out of school, went straight into the shipyard at 12. Well, it's not your day anymore. Praise God for that. 12-year-olds, whoop, whoop. And um, maybe, maybe you're a parent who's like trying to shoo your child out to work and they're like 14. You're like, come on, get a paper run. They're like, dad, people don't read the paper anymore. I, I don't know, maybe... Maybe you're somebody and you, you're looking for a job at the minute or uh, you've been applying for jobs or you had a season where you were applying for jobs and job after job after job after job uh, and, um, and you eventually got one. But there is, there is no more difficult place to be than to be 16 trying to get a part-time job. Can I get a witness? And can I thank Steve? Can I get a witness over here? Now, some people are like, try 40 with five kids trying to get a job. Okay, touche, fair enough. However, when you're 16, trying to get a job, 17, 18, 19, and you're trying to get your first part-time job, if you weren't one of the blessed ones from your local area who got, you know, a paper run or who got, you know, one of the jobs that you envied at 16, and you're like, I can't believe his dad's a cool man. He gets pocket money for that. That's awful. But if you're not one of those blessed ones in, uh, that you're growing up with and you're trying to actually apply for a job, the greatest enigma that you will come up against time and time and time again, every time you go on one of those uh, websites or everything, that you look at in a shop window is that experience required. You look at it as a 16-year-old, experience required. You have about as much experience as coming out of the womb. You did your key stage threes and you're in the middle of doing your GCSEs. What experience do you need to put onions on a shelf? Thank you very much. And time and time again, you're faced with this opportunity of a job and then you look at the fine print and it says experience required. How much experience can you get at 16 years of age? As a matter of fact, who is the successful candidates for these jobs? Can we, can we find out? Like, can we find out who are the 16-year-olds who have enough experience who've already worked in jobs? How do they get, how do you get experience unless somebody's gonna give you experience? Like how does, how does this work out? How does this happen? How does this take place? I, um, I was 19 when I was applying for jobs and couldn't get a job. And uh, some parents are like, you're not gonna be like him, son. You'll be in a job when you're 16. Thank you very much. Well, I was blessed. Thanks very much. And um, I was 19 and I was trying to apply for these jobs. I had, a, I had kind of like a bit of a, a job with my dad, but that was about the height of it. So I was applying for job after job after job, never getting interviews, never getting interviews. So if that's one of you guys or one of you guys for that matter, take heart, push on. One day you'll be a pastor too. No, just joking. Just joking. It's about God. Um, but I was applying for all of these jobs and time and time again, you know when, you know when you feel like you have a right to hear back from an application and there's some people in the room who would probably say, you do have a right? Well, I don't know if we do, but anyway, take it up with human rights or something like that. And you're, you're applying for all of these jobs. You're like spending nights on, on, on your laptop and you're applying and you're applying and you're trying, to, you're trying to sell yourself and you're like updating your CV and you're changing the templates of it and you're trying to make yourself sound more appealing. And it's like hobbies and you're writing like, I take long walks to process and I play sport and I'm a, I'm a leader and other people are led by me and 
all of that kind of thing. Well, this is what I was doing. And I just faced rejection after rejection after rejection after rejection after rejection. And then one day I got a phone call and I said, you have an interview? Hey, it's decent. Have an interview. And it was for Tesco. Thanks very much, Tesco. And then that same day, I got another phone call. I had another interview. It was for Asda. And the interviews were on the same day. I went from rejection after rejection after rejection to, hello, somebody. I'm a wanted man. Tesco want me, Asda want me, Sainsbury's will be headhunting me. I didn't even apply for them. They'll be looking for me next as well. We can all be assured that Marks and Spencers weren't going to phone me because I'm not, I don't have enough uh, gentleman etiquette to work at Marks and Spencers. Thank you very much, sir. Have a lovely day, sir. I had these two interviews and they were on the same day and they were back to back. So I went to the ASDA interview and it was a group interview and it was all of these challenges. And we, we put like uh, pieces of sticks in marshmallows and had, it was all of these team building and there was loads of people there. And then I went to uh, the Tesco interview and they asked me three questions. And on the same day, uh, about two hours after, both of them phoned me and offered me both jobs. I was like, hello. It's like, answered the phone. So um, how, how much are you going to offer me here, mate? You know, I mean, I'm wanted, man, here. It's like, no, it's minimum wage, buddy. No, thanks very much. You want the job or not? You start next week. And I, I say that because I went from rejection after rejection after rejection after rejection to this mass revival in my head of job opportunities. Now, two jobs isn't a lot for some of us. Some competent people in the room are like, two jobs? Psh, two jobs for breakfast? But actually, some of us over here, when you're applying for job after job, some of you know what it feels like. To get two job opportunities in the same day, it's like, whoa, where did this come from? This is like, this is ludicrous. This can only be a move of the Holy Spirit, praise God. And we're gonna pick up today, like Stephen dropped us off last week in Jonah 1 and 2. And Jonah was a person who faced rejection after rejection and who gave rejection to God after rejection of God, and then all of a sudden, he'd find himself bang smack in the middle of revival. We're gonna look at Jonah chapter three, Jonah chapter four. Are you down if we read both chapters? Yeah, uh, you don't really get a choice. Okay, Jonah three, and Jonah four. It says, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Do you notice that? And some of us, we were waiting on the, on the juicy parts and, all of a sudden, we see it straight away. It came a second time, which mean that, meant that it came a first time. So for it to come a second time meant that Jonah didn't take up the first time. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. It said, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to, the, to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city and it took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God, a fast was proclaimed and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth, all of them. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. This is proclaiming this is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Don't let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on 
God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows, God may relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Wholesale revival. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to live than to die. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade and waited to see what had happened to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant like the ones that fill our living rooms now and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God had provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant though you didn't tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who can't tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? This story went from Jonah rejecting, rejecting the word of the Lord to a complete and utter revival in a city in which he didn't want to experience revival. We see the first mention of Jonah in scripture is in 2 Kings 14, 25. It says, he was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Lebo Hamath to the Dead Sea in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant, Jonah, son of Amidai, the prophet from Gath, Hefer. So here's Jonah, who God invites to go to this great city of Nineveh to preach. And Jonah ran away. Most historians believe that he ran away approximately two and a half thousand miles in the opposite direction, approximately here to Istanbul, trying to get away from the word and the direction that God was taking, to, taking him into. He was rejecting the word of the Lord and he was doing it with intentionality. He was running in the complete opposite direction. And was he wrong to do so? Nineveh was a city that was so opposed to godliness that they would skin people alive. It was a horrible city. It was an ungodly city. It was an evil city in every way, shape and form. And Jonah felt like they didn't deserve the grace and the mercy of God. And if many of us were in his position, we probably wouldn't disagree. Now in church, we would all disagree. Jonah, come on, don't be so self-righteous. But if we were to peel it back, we would probably all agree with Jonah. They probably didn't face-to-face deserve the grace and the mercy of God. And what most scholars believe to be one of the greatest revivals in history, Jonah experienced and carried the message to these people in a place in which he didn't even wanna see it happen. 
want to share with you a few things from Jonah 3 and 4 today. And the first thing is this. He is the comeback king. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. It says this. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. It came a second time, which implies that it had to come a first time. And God is the comeback king. Now, many of us, we enjoy sport. Not many of us. Some of us, we may enjoy sport. I enjoy sport. And there are some teams that are known, probably one in particular who will remain unnamed as the comeback kings, which means that anytime they go down, it's inevitable that they will come back time and time and time again. And most people would put it down to their mentality, to their focus, to their drive, to their capacity to be undefeated, to to ensure that they have victory at the end of the day. And this is the same principle that we attach to our God. He is the comeback king. His purpose will prevail. His plan will come through. Regardless of whether or not you hear him the first time, he's always gonna come back around the second time. It is in his DNA. It is in his character. He is a gracious God. And that's something that you and I can't shake it as much as we don't feel like we want his grace sometimes or even deserve his grace. This is intrinsically connected to who he is. He is the comeback King, the word of the Lord came a second time. And I wonder today what the word of the Lord is speaking to you, maybe for the second time, maybe for the third time, maybe for the fourth time, and you're putting it off time and time and time and time and time and time again. And God is maybe speaking into this room today, straight to your heart, speaking to you about your family, speaking to you about your finances, speaking to you about your soul, speaking to you about the state of your affairs and your relationships with other people. And you're putting them off time and time and time and time again. I want to let you know today that God is speaking to you today because he is the comeback king. Hebrews 3 verse 15 says, today, everybody say today. Come on, wake up that person next to you and say today. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion, which means what? It means that he tried to speak before and you rebelled. You hardened your heart and you rebelled. So today, if he speaks a second time, don't do what you did again. You listen, lean in. I wonder what the Holy Spirit is speaking into this room today. See, God speaks not based upon who you are and what you've done, but based upon who he is. I can be confident of this, that he who began a good work in me will bring it on until the day of completion when Christ Jesus returns. It's about him, he is the comeback king. I don't deserve it. You, you maybe don't deserve it, but God in his grace is allowing you opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. And I wonder what it is that the Holy Spirit is speaking into our hearts today, the spaces that he's speaking into that some of us are feeling conviction about, that some of us are feeling chased about, and we're trying to hold them off and hold them off and hold them off. His word will not return void. It will set out all that it accomplishes to do. So I wonder what the word of the Lord is that's being spoken into you, that God is working to accomplish in you. It's going to come second time, it's going to come third time, and it's going to keep on coming. Why? Because he is the comeback king. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Every day is a second time for you and I. Every day, new grace. Every day, new mercy. Every day, his faithfulness remains the same. He is the comeback king. 
Jonah's experience of this comeback king landed him in a city called Nineveh, a city that he didn't want to be in, but he received the word of the Lord a second time. And he knew after the first time, all right, I need to obey the word that comes my way. The second thing that I want to share with you is this, pleasing God comes through faith and faith leads to obedience. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, without faith it is impossible to please God. Pleasing God comes through faith, but faith leads to obedience. Without works, our faith is dead. Faith leads to obedience. Jonah 3 verse 3, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Nineveh was a large city and it took three days to go through it. See, God wants our obedience and it's our obedience that unlocks the destiny that God has prepared for us. You wanna be disobedient to God, don't expect to walk in the purposes of God. But if you're willing to be obedient to God, expect to walk into the purposes of God. Faith leads to obedience. I have a little illustration. I'm gonna use Tim for it. His big green jumper, come on up. Tim and I are gonna play a game. So is there like, come, come to church for games? Yep, looks like it. We're gonna play a game called Simon Says. Everybody know Simon Says? Yeah. Simon Says, jump. Simon Says, clap your hands. Simon Says, raise your arms. Simon Says, rub your belly. Simon Says, pat your head. All right. It's good, isn't it? All right. <laughs> Let's play a game that Jesus says. Jesus says, make disciples. I got it. Uh, make disciples. Okay. Jesus says, heal the sick. Okay, Jesus says, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Do you know it in the Greek? <laughs> you can grab a seat, thanks Tim. Oh, that's nice. People are like, what's, what's going on? Why is it that loads of us are obedient to Simon and we struggle being obedient to Jesus. And instead, we settle with memorizing what he said instead of doing what he said. He's calling us the obedience. Make disciples. Make disciples. I know what I'll do. I'll bring a group of people together and we'll talk about what it would look like if we made disciples. No, you won't. He told you to make disciples. Not gather groups of people and talk about it. Faith leads us to obedience. 
And Jesus is requiring something of us, something much more than Simon requires of us when he says, Simon says, something much more than you and I are settling for. And we can't settle for memorization. We can't settle for repetition. We can't settle for simply attendance. When Jesus is calling us to a lifestyle of this, making disciples, preaching the gospel, healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons, loving our enemies, praying without ceasing. This is what Jesus is calling us to. And faith, faith is pleasing. You can't please God without having faith. But faith should always lead us to a place of obedience. 1 Samuel 15, 22 says, but Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. To heed is better than the fat of rams. It was Jonah's obedience that brought him into the purposes of God. He might've had a bad spirit about him. He might not have been happy about it. But what Jonah got correct was that he obeyed the word of the Lord. And it's obedience that shows you the fruit. When we are obedient, we see the fruit of our obedience. When we just ponder with the idea of obedience, we'll never see the fruit of it because we're just pondering with the idea of it. But when we step into it, then we see the fruit of it. So often we write ourselves off I couldn't say that to them. I couldn't share with them. I couldn't do that. I couldn't, I couldn't. And the common denominator is usually I. Let's take Jonah for a second. Jonah was not very clearly a dynamic communicator. He may have had the ability to, but remember that he did not want these people to heed this message. He didn't want them to receive it. Jonah wasn't uh, giving it his all, preaching with illustrations. He wasn't using Simon Says to help the point be driven home. Jonah, all he was, was a messenger. And a messenger's responsibility is to deliver a message. Let me ask you this. When was the last time the postman knocked the door and interpreted your bank statement for you? Doesn't happen. Why? Because he just delivers the message. There's your post. There's the message. Well, so often as messengers, as people who are carrying the good news of Jesus, carrying the gospel, carrying like genuine news to people that should bring joy, that will ultimately save their lives if they choose to accept it. And we're, we're opening the post and trying to interpret it. Jonah, he brought a message with no dynamism, I think it's fair to suggest, and yet it resulted in revival. And I just wonder, as we look in this room, I wonder the people connected to this room, if all we did was share the message, maybe even smile as we do it, a little bit more than Jonah would have done, what God will do, how God will honor our obedience, how God will bring something about as we step into his purposes and his plans. The third thing, I wanna share with you from Jonah three and four. Might be a newsflash, but it's this. God's plans are greater than your plans. Jonah shared the message. Revival had broken out. P.S. If you really love your dog, then you'll wanna see revival because the Bible says that 
in Jonah that even the animals were made to fast and put on sackcloth, which is just funny. People are like, I'll share the gospel for my doggy. <laughs> I bet you would. Do for Jesus too. Hello. <laughs> but this revival had broken out in such a way that the king had issued a decree and Jonah, he wasn't happy. In Jonah chapter four, verse one, it reads, but Jonah to Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became angry. See, Jonah wasn't okay with what God did because they were bad and they did certain things and they behaved certain ways. And so he became angry. His preferences weren't necessarily in line with God's and God's purposes weren't necessarily in line with Jonah's preferences. And Jonah wasn't too pleased about this. Jonah wasn't thrilled about this. Jonah, as a matter of fact, was very annoyed about this. But yet God was navigating a way to ensure that his purposes prevailed time and time again. Why? Because his, his plans and his purposes are greater than yours and greater than mine. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it, but we can have the assurance that his thoughts are higher than ours, his ways are higher than ours, his thoughts are greater than ours. We can have the assurance that he's working even in spaces and places that we can't see and we don't have knowledge of. I love Google Maps. Why do I love Google Maps? It's because when you put the destination in, regardless of the turns that you take, if you follow the route or you go off the route, it redirects you and recalculates your route to that same destination time and time and time and time and time and time again, no matter what. If you need to take a U-turn, you take a U-turn. If you need to take a left turn and a right turn, drive for eight miles, turn the other way, you, it'll work that all out for you. As long as the destination remains the same, it will recalculate your route. And I believe that God has the same principles that regardless of the steps that you take and the spaces that you step into and the turns that you make, and sometimes some of us, we need to take a U-turn and we need to do it very, very quickly because we're going to a dead end. God, as long as the destination has been set by the Lord, He will consistently recalculate our route. Why? Because His mercies are new every morning, because He's gracious and because He's good and because one way or another, His purposes will prevail. What are the areas of your life that your purposes are trying to prevail and you're trying to put God in the back seat? I'm gonna change the destination, thanks Lord. Uh, don't think you are. What are the areas that you are pushing him out of the road and the Lord is saying, hey, this is the, this is the right way to go. We're going, you, when you get there, then you'll thank me for getting there. What are the areas? What are the, areas in other people's lives and they're waiting on you being obedient to the purposes of God in order that they can step into the fullness of God. Some of us are withholding in such a way that we are limiting what God can do in somebody else's life because God is allowing us in his grace to be part of their journey and part of their story. No, I want this, God, this money's mine. No, like if you release it, like they're really gonna, they're gonna, 
really step into it. No, God, I, this, this gift, I couldn't do it. I'm too nervous. No, like if you, just, if you share the word, like that person is gonna come out of a place of bondage. If you just speak it, just speak it, just speak it. No, God, I really couldn't. I couldn't serve. I, no, I, I wouldn't have the time and the energy. No, like you've got more energy. You won't know how much energy you have until you start to expend it a bit more. And many of us, we're allowing our plans and our desires to overrule God's when in actual fact, Jesus teaches us what? To submit. Not my will, but yours be done. God's purpose must prevail. Proverbs 19, 21 says, many of the plans in a person's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. AKA, it's not you making God part of your plan. It's you actually becoming part of God's plan and intentionally doing so. You know, when the disciples came to Jesus in John chapter four, he was at a well. Jesus was spending time with a lady from Samaria, was talking to her, was sharing about her five husbands. It was an intimate moment and this woman was being freed in this moment from all of her past and all of her shame. And the disciples were away, they were getting food. I think they were at Tesco Express or something like that. They came back and they were like, hey, Jesus, 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 we got food, you need to eat, you need to eat, you need to eat. And Jesus said, uh, I'm good. And they were like looking at each other. Did he, did he bring a packed lunch or what's going on? He said, I, I food you know nothing about. He did. He, he brought his own lunch. You know those type of people who look after themselves and everybody else is starving. And Jesus said, no, my food's, my food, what fulfills me is to do the will of the Father. There was something about the will of the Father that sustained him. There was something about the will of the Father and being obedient to it that brought him energy and pushed him on. And some of us, we can feel a sense of emptiness and not all of us, it's down to this, but some of us, I wonder if it's because we're pushing the purposes of God to the background and we're, we're pursuing our own desires and our own agendas. And every time we hit one of those targets, we feel empty and we wonder why. Oh, I'll just set a bigger one. I'll set a bigger goal. I'll come up with a better idea. I'll get another extension. I'll put something different in the house. I'll buy another car. We come up with all of these ideas and plans and schemes thinking that will fulfill us. And all it does is lead us to a place of emptiness. And I encourage you, try the will of God. You try it and see how it fills you. You try it and see the food that that feels to you. You try it and see what happens. The final thing I wanna share with you is what about the worm? Just turn to somebody and ask them, what about the worm? <laughs> People are like, I am not asking somebody that. That's okay, I don't judge you. Jonah, this seemed very wrong. He became angry, prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out, sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his, for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed up the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die. He said, it'd be better for me to die than to live. 
God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And it's just the strangest, strangest ending to Jonah's account. In the middle of this revival, he ends up being most concerned about a worm, a measly little worm who ate his plant. That's my plant. And he huffed about it and huffed and huffed and huffed. And he was so annoyed that he wished he would die. And you know that what that's like if you have a child or you've had a child, what's wrong? Nothing. What's wrong? Nothing. What's wrong? I said nothing. And they give it stacks and they get so annoyed. And then they freak out and they panic. You say, no, no, come on, what's wrong? Nothing, it's just, okay. Doesn't matter then. It's just that, okay. Doesn't matter then. What's wrong? And she get more ice cream than me. Not some of us Sunday lunch and we're in our mid-40s. <laughs> you know that God asks you questions to reveal your heart. And God is asking some of you questions to reveal your heart. And you can, you can not listen all you want, but he'll keep asking you the question until you answer. Why? Because then you'll speak out what's really in your heart. It's just, I'm not very happy about it. It was, it was comfortable, it was nice. What about a worm? You know, the, the Ninevites, they served this god, Dagon. And Dagon means the fish god. And Jonah got spat up out of a fish. He got spat on the shore. He spread the, he spread the news about God, this gracious God who was gonna eventually bring wrath unless they repented. He experienced revival and he went from a wheel to a worm, a fish to the floor like that. All of a sudden, God had done this unbelievably huge thing in this city of 120,000 people that it took three days to go through. It doesn't even take you 35 minutes to get from one side of Belfast to the other. And it took him three days to go through the city and he'd, he'd spread the news and there was revival breaking out. And this account ends with Jonah being concerned about a worm. Why did you send that worm to eat my plant? And God asked him some questions. And when God asks you questions, it always, the answers always reveal your true heart. And some of us, I wonder the questions that God is asking us to reveal our hearts. He's not asking us in a wrathful way, but in a gracious way. Because he doesn't want you to be concerned about a plant. He wants you to open your eyes. Did you not see what just happened? Should I not be concerned about these people who didn't know their right hand from their left and now they've repented, now they've put on sackcloth, now they've changed? Should I not be concerned? And I do believe that some of us we're focusing on the small things, the tiny little things. And as we focus on the small thing, we miss the whole picture. Jonah was focused on a little small thing and he was missing the big picture. The big picture is this. There is a city who do not know Jesus at all. Some people do. Well, there's lots of churches. Okay, very good. There are family who might even be around your lunch table today. 
There are people who you go to work with every single day. Have you shared the gospel with them? Or, or are you more like Jonah than we want to admit? We laugh at him. We think, flippin' Jonah. And you're just concerned about all the wee worms in your life. All the wee savings here and there. All the wee holidays. All the wee. Meanwhile, there's this whole city who in God's terms don't know the right hand from their left. And you and I have not just an opportunity, but a responsibility. Remember what Simon says and Jesus says? To make disciples, to share the good news about Jesus. Why don't we stand together and the worship team are gonna come. We're gonna respond together. Where do I go from here? There's a question many of us are asking. Do I share the gospel tomorrow or what do I, what do, I do? And maybe that's not necessarily the only place that I'm encouraging you toward this morning at all. See, in the Old Testament, it was all about obedience to God. How you honored God was being obedient to God. And in the New Testament, it's by faith in Jesus, which leads us to a place of obedience. Having faith in Jesus is what pleases God. But our faith in Jesus should always lead us to a place of obedience. And some of us, just like Jonah, can get frustrated and get annoyed and we can whinge about society and we can whinge about all of these things we perhaps see here and there. Or maybe, maybe we're a little bit immune to them. Maybe we don't realize the brevity of sin around us and the need for the gospel. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. What does this mean for you and I who follow Jesus, who are trying our best to share the gospel? Twofold, some of us, some of us, in order to see breakthrough, we need to start speaking up what God has put in our mouths. But equally, the Bible says in Hebrews 4, verse 12, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It's interesting. Because you think of a sword, let's keep that up there for a second. You think of a sword as something to attack and often that's, the, that's the, how we visualize our Bible. If you have a revelation of this verse, we visualize it as a sword. But I wonder whose thoughts and attitudes and whose heart it's dividing. Yours or somebody else's? Because actually I've personally never divided my joints and my marrow. Don't fancy it anytime soon, thanks very much. Sounds painful, sounds challenging, sounds tough, doesn't sound tender and cute, nice, doesn't sound like a five minute devotional in the morning. It sounds like, like open heart surgery. It sounds like, all right, go to town on me. 
Some of us, we have attitudes in our heart and that's why we're not sharing in the way in which God has given us responsibility to share. And we need to invite him through his word to divide our soul and our spirit and judge the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts. What is in my heart? Judge it, God. What is in, what attitude am I showing in my heart toward these people? Lord, divide it and change me and transform me. Do it as you please, as you must please, Lord. Open this book on my life and go to town. His word is alive and active. And so we pray and we invite an acceleration of the Holy Spirit. He's here, he's been here. He's with you and he will go with you because his mercy is new every morning. He's faithful, he's consistent. And I wonder all of this time you've spent with him and you didn't even realize you were in the presence of a king. And there were some things in your heart that were offensive to him, that weren't in line with his character. And in love right now, he just wants to accelerate in the room in order to affirm some of us. Because some of the attitudes, they're not vicious and malicious, but actually they've been planted by the enemy and they're robbing us more than they're robbing some others. So Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence. We thank you, Father, that we are right here in your presence, the presence of Almighty God. The one alone who is immortal, the one alone who is dwells in unapproachable light. We are in your presence. I recognize in this moment that we're standing in a building like we do a lot of Sundays, but in this moment, we recognize that we are in your presence. And we ask you to do what, is, what it is that you wanna do. Increase Holy Spirit. 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 For those of us who are having our minds robbed from the enemy, Lord, I ask right now in the name of Jesus that you would guard our hearts and minds. For those of us in spaces of emotional instability, right now in the name of Jesus, stabilize us. We thank you that you are sure and steadfast. You're an anchor for the soul. Pray right now, Lord, that you would root our minds in your word and in the truth of who you are and that we would be secure in that. For those of us, Lord God, who are fretting and who are worrying, Lord God, who are finding ourselves riddled in a place of anxiety, we ask, Holy Spirit, you would draw near, comfort, bring peace. Father, we thank you for your love and we thank you for your goodness. And for those of us who are sleeping, Lord, I pray on their behalf that you would wake them up in the name of Jesus. Wake them up out of your love for them, Lord God, so that they don't sleep through the greatest years of their life. Hi everyone, thanks for listening in on our Sunday podcasts. Check us out on our Facebook, Instagram at UT Belfast.